Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Kathy Spooner on Kathy's recent book, Attachment-Based Family Therapy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. This is Karen Doyle Buckwalter joining you from Chaddock today, and I'm really looking forward to introducing you to our guest today. Her name is Kathy Spooner, and Kathy is an LCSW and an RPTS, Registered Play Therapist Supervisor, if anyone is unfamiliar with that abbreviation. And she has done lots of of training and consultation and supervision in various therapy models, um, particularly play therapy and expressive arts. And she also has a very strong background in DBT that she brings into her practice. One of the things that we're going to be talking about today is her recently released book, Attachment-Focused Family Play Therapy, an Intervention for Children and Adolescents After Trauma uh, by Kathy Spooner. And it actually just released in 2021. So this is a really recent book and I am so looking forward to Kathy joining us today and talking to us about her work and the various types of interventions and practices that she talks about in this book. So stay tuned. She will be here in just a minute. Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joined by Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on April 28th and 29th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, how to help parents initiate relationship repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is now open. For more information or to register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. Hey, Kathy, I'm so excited to continue this discussion with you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so we had kind of wrapped up last week um, looking at your phases, the observation and assessment phase, safety and engagement, realignment, attunement phase and termination. I was wondering in order to make that feel more real if we might walk through maybe a case example of some of those phases. Um, I would love if you could share with listeners um, from that first phase, you have an example in the book about a task that you like to give people for with sand tray. That might be a fun thing to talk about for that first observation and assessment, just as a case example, and maybe we could then you know, follow generally through the phases, just to, just to give a touch of what, I always think case examples like really like bring, bring the concepts alive. So how about sharing about that first assessment phase and one, that one of those activities that you really like to do? Yeah, so um, I love, so I'm sure most people, have, if they're play therapists, they've probably heard about Eliana Gill and her family play therapy. She has four um, play therapy techniques for the family that I I love. I I love them because they 
they, they kind of give me, they're loose enough in their structure so that I can see how things are going, but they have at least a purpose to them. Yes. So they, there's a point that, you know, a central organizing point where they're kind of working on it. So um, create your ideal world or just create a world in the sand. Um, and so with family members, I add a few little rules because otherwise it's chaos. And to be completely honest, I'll be picking up, putting away sand for gears for what will feel like three weeks because they'll be like, they'll probably use all my figures because the kids get so excited. Right, right. So, so, so you've got, let's just say two parents and, you know, two kids. And this is what you say to them. So I say to them, so today you're going to create a world in the sand and you'll see the sand right here and you can see how the sand and I push the sand back and I'll show the bottom is blue and I'll say some people like to use this as blue and then I'll point over to the sand uh, shelves with all the sand figures and I'll say you can use as many as, as or as few as you would like to create a world in the sand and you can do it however you want to do it. You guys decide how it goes. I do have a couple of rules though. One is the sand has to stay in the sandbox. The other rule is if you didn't put the figure in, you can't take it out because everybody gets to have uh, permission to put in figures that they want and you can't move it unless it's okay because you don't get to decide for other people. And the other thing is uh, there's a maximum of 10 figures per person. So if you have 10 figures in there and you have other ones, then you can decide, do you want to take some out in order to keep your maximum of 10? So, so that's the ex- that's the way I introduce it. And then love I'll- it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Otherwise they get, Oh, I forgot. One of the rules is, and you can't get mad at what other people put in. Like people are allowed. Everybody gets to decide. And the reason I say those rules is because inevitably, usually the identified client gets mad about what somebody puts in or they want to go into bossy pants mode or or they like take every figure and the reason i like to put the maximum at 10 one it's a nice amount two i like to see what happens when they reach 10 so do they take their figures out sometimes they try to sneak them in and yes. then I have to see what the parents do. Like, can parents do the structuring? And how right. do they do their structuring? Mm-hmm. Do they go rules rigid based? Are they able to uh, kind of co-regulate their child and do that um, attuned uh, problem solving? Or do they just ignore it and look at me like, are you going to do something? Right, <laughs> right, right, uh, right. So right. I like to see how all of that goes. It's always interesting to see how they uh, work together, Mm -hmm. how they decide about their world, where things are placed in their world. Yes. Of all of that. So that's one of the reasons that I like, I like that one. It's, it's, it's open enough 
so that they have lots of options and I get some good information. Yes. But it's got a focus where they have yes. a, a goal. Yes. <laughs> well, and you know, um, what I've learned in my own training that I've been um, going through in Santra, and this is going to sound very elementary to a more experienced um, Santra person, um, but the process is equally, if not sometimes more important than, you know, as an outsider, when you don't know a lot about sand tray, you kind of think, oh, it's all about what they put in the sand. And then there's some like really interesting interpretation of that. And so I, I you know, that, that that's, um, I learned that that's absolutely, I mean, there's, there's a piece of that there can be, but there's a whole lot more than that. So, and so I loved when you talked about, and you videotape this and this can be great for video feedback because you can kind of talk about, you know, maybe one parent jumps right in and one parent's more reticent and, you know, maybe one child does one thing and maybe one parent intervenes with one child, but not the other. I mean, there's just, I mean, the possibilities in terms of video would be absolutely endless, you know, so I, I wanted to add, because uh, we didn't mention it yet, that that this may be videotaped and part of what you do, part of what you use in some of your video work. Yeah, I love, that usually freaks out people I supervise when I say, oh, you need to videotape. I love videotaping. Like, right. it's the best thing on the planet. Me too. Yes. And... I'm telling you, there is nothing more helpful than picking, using little clips of the video in the parent feedback sessions. Yes. Because you have it in real time and they can actually see. So if you want to show them something well that they've done, they can actually see. Yes. And then yes. breaking it down and explaining to them why it's so awesome. Right, right. And those areas where maybe it's not so great, I, um, those are good opportunities. Before you do that, though, it's really good to make sure you have that therapeutic rapport with the parents. Yes. Otherwise, yes. all they hear is you telling them what a terrible parent they are. Yes, yeah. And that same yeah. spiral just takes right. off. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and TheraPlay is, uses a lot of videotape oh, and, and every fourth session we have a parent feedback session and we use video clips often in it and one of the things that i say and, and maybe um i think you would endorse this as well just seeing oneself on video with your family or with your child is an intervention in and of itself even without the therapist even doing or saying anything because yeah. it like steps you out of that um, dance, so to speak, or whatever goes on unconsciously in the family system or in the relationship. So I am that that's one of the reasons I got so excited when you talked about video, because I I'm like you. I'm like, what? There's a whole other set of how it makes you a better therapist because you're able to see. I mean, in regular supervision, we report what what's conscious. We obviously can't report what's unconscious. The video reports what's unconscious. <laughs> so to speak, yeah. reveals. I should say, report sounds like you know you're in trouble. But um, yeah. yeah. So I just thought that was awesome. And so so there was all kinds of patterns like you, that you can pick up in that. And really, you know, 
it would be a, almost a matter of you would have so much information. Like you said, you would want to kind of narrow it down yeah. and not overwhelm and be careful about what you point out. What about, so there's other parts of the assessment phase, but just for the interest of time, what about safety and engagement as you're then working on that? Like, could you think of like a case example, maybe even the same case, whether it's two parents, two kids, and you're going to then yeah. work on safety and engagement. What's something that from that phase of treatment, give us something that would illustrate that. So in this, in this phase, and normally the, the first phase, like I can usually get that done in uh, like two or maybe three, uh, just cause I, I like probably in the first or second one, I, I picked up on it, but yes, but I, I usually say like that's that phase really should not take you more than three to four sessions. Okay, great. The bulk of it is, in, well, and then the next phase is now you kind of have a sense of the, who's there and their personalities and the, um, so then the next phase really not, you're still kind of establishing safety from day one in the sessions. The next one is really, I like to pick um, interventions in that phase that are um, still pretty open and not too challenging. Now, are you talking about the realignment phase now or the safety and engagement? The safety and engagement. Okay, good. So, so for the first phase, this observation and assessment, you're saying you kind of get through that in two or three or no more than, it really shouldn't take more than four. Like, right, okay. And then we're moving to like the safety and engagement session. Obviously this is all generalities. It depends on the family and all of that. Yeah. And so, and this might be how many sessions and might look like what? Um, if, uh, if, if you have a more highly guarded kid and family system, it's gonna take a little longer. Mm -hmm. If they, if you have, um, a system that parents are able to have a little more safety with their child, then it's going to be a little shorter. Yeah. I, I try this one uh, optimally probably wouldn't want to go more than eight to 10 um, because you, the bulk of the treatment is going to be in the realignment. Right. You're, but, you're, it's almost like you're building a foundation of your case conceptualization, like what's even going on here and enough safety and connection to be able to like what you said, the realignment phase is, is yeah. a little more painful. So you're, you're trying to, to, to do the, the, case conceptualization, what's happening, get safety, have them feeling connected to go on to this other third phase. Is that a good way to say yeah. it? Okay. Because when you challenge them, it's going to push them out of their comfort zone and all their danger circuits are going to go off. Right. So if they don't have the trust to know that you're not trying to be mean or trying to be a butthead or telling them they're all horrible, if they don't, if they don't trust you enough where you can do that repair work with them when they've been challenged, then you're not really going to get very far. Yeah. Phase, you know, from that attachment standpoint. Yes. The therapists are really acting as the attachment 
container. Yes. And you need to do that with parents as much as you do with the kids, because the parents need to know that you're not judging them and you're not thinking they're horrible parents. I have, I, so I have kids, mine are like young adults now and out of the home, but I, I have this theory. This is so mind you, I, I got my degree in special education. I could do a behavior plan. Like I could do it in my sleep. Right. I knew how to, I knew how to manage behavior. And then I had kids and the mommy guilt that got triggered. (laughs) You know, I have this theory. If you give birth to a child through natural birth or adoption, you give birth to guilt. Like we always worry, are we, doing well with our kids. So I, in the safety and engage, and it's the same for dads too. I just think it probably looks a little different and it's still there. So in the safety and engagement phase, we're really kind of keeping a, I'm checking in a lot with parents to make sure in their heads, they're not hearing me say, uh, you're a terrible parent. I'm not saying that. Right. They hear that in their heads. Like my greatest lesson learned, I was teaching kind of an attachment-based parent class to the parents of the kids in a group that I was doing for ADHD kids. Uh-huh. And they weren't regulating emotions and their social skills were not so fabulous. Um, so I was trying to work with the parents on, you know, if you have a kid with ADHD, you need to do the parenting a little different, not the traditional kind because it doesn't work so well. But I I had one parent, I worked hard on establishing trust with her. I was always pointing out what she did well. But in that parenting class, she said to me, you know what, Kathy, all I hear in that parent class is you telling us how terrible we are. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Shocked. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Tell me about that because I'm actually shocked. Help me understand that a little more. And so she proceeded to explain that to me. And it was kind of my clue of, in my mind, I'm being compassionate. I'm telling some of my own parenting failure stories. I'm connecting. And all she heard was me telling her she sucked. Hmm. And that could not have been further from the truth mm-hmm. from my perspective. So I, I've learned to check in with them. And I say it from the beginning when I do parent coaching is I'll tell them my theory. I say, I have this theory. When you give birth to a child, either through adoption or, or your own birth child, you give birth to guilt. So there will be times that you you might be feeling guilty or you may be thinking I'm I think you're a terrible person for the record. I'm never going to think that way. I'm a parent. I didn't get the easy kids, which I feel like is God's way of saying, girl, you don't know it all. Like you better be compassionate to these people (laughs) because you mess up too. Um, So I have that conversation early on to give them permission to tell me because if they don't tell me, I won't know. Mm -hmm. And we're not, they're not going to trust me. Yeah. I think that's that's such an important point that you're bringing up because I do think a lot of. Um, I mean, if you have to bring your child to therapy, you already feel like a failure. Yeah, I, I I guess I feel like in these parts of your model, 
it's like you're earning the right to be able to say some of these harder things later on by building trust and building connection. And I do think that that's where a lot of our therapy sometimes falls apart, you know, is that parents are thinking and feeling that, but they're not able to say it. And then, you know, whatever happens, you know, they, they stop coming or, Right. They, That's how they tell us. Yeah. You yeah. Know how they tell us. Right. So I think that that is just great. Um, so then in, in the realignment and challenges, when you're starting to maybe point out some thoughts on how something could be different or or even something positive to do more of. Right. Um, what can you think of an example of like a conversation that might happen in that phase? Yeah. So in, in this phase, um, like if we're, if we're, let's say it's, uh, let's say it's maybe a a blended family and, um, maybe the child doesn't necessarily have such a good relationship with the step parent, And that's created some imbalance with, you know, as the parents and the step parents kind of have to figure out what does that parenting role look like? Like who's going to play? Yeah, so hard. It is hard. And there's, there's no, there's no manual because it's not a one size fits all. I mean, I, I feel like that's an individualized area where that's important for families to figure out what that looks like. And I, I remember working with a, a family. There were lots of traumas, lots of traumas for this girl. And it was a blended family. Um, and the so the, one, the step-parent had their own trauma history never talked about until the, this situation came up. And then he'd never gotten treatment for it. Um, and the parent of the girl, they had gone through a really messy divorce and, um, and then because of the trauma that had gone on, the girl experienced a lot of bullying and her self-esteem was non-existent, felt bullied, felt like everything felt traumatized. So some big T's and a bunch of little T's in a system that had some generational trauma. So part of the realignment is helping the, the kids to communicate to their parents, hey, this is what's going on. I'm feeling this way helping parents to recognize their child's cues. Like, because I blow up, like if you ask me to, hey, it's your turn to clean the dishes and I scream and yell, like everything's unfair and you're always picking on me. That's not necessarily about the dishes. (laughs) That's not necessarily about, about me trying to get out of doing chores. It might just have been that something happened earlier in the day that I've been carrying around that I haven't been able to talk about where my trauma got triggered or I had a really bad um, nightmare about the trauma or I had a flashback, but I, nobody was around. I didn't tell anybody or, or the, the memory came back. 
and it freaked me out, kind of derailed my my neural circuits a bit. So teaching the parents not to take that personally, and if it's like if it's a traumatized, if you have a parent who's got their own unresolved trauma, then you've got the trauma of the child can trigger the trauma of the adult. So it gets to be really complex in that phase where you're real. I always like to use the analogy of, I don't, I don't know, you're, you're female. You might've had a sewing box when you were little, maybe you still have a sewing box. I had a sewing box when I was little. Oh, you know, have you all the thread and then you get this big thread ball with like all these different color threads all jumbled up in there and you can't just tell where one thread ends and another thread begins. It's just this jumbled mass of twisted thread ball. And sometimes it's like that in a family system where everybody's emotional stuff gets all jumbled up in there and you kind of have to figure out where all the threads are and start kind of teasing that out to help people come around and do things a different way and understand things a different way. Um, Because when I I was having this conversation with somebody just this morning about um, there's that area in the brain, it's in the kind of middle prefrontal cortex. Bessel van der Kolk talks about, I forgot what he called it. Called it, I forgot what he called it. He called it something. Um, where basically he looked at some research of that area, and what they found was people with the developmental trauma. And this is why, like reading social cues and intentions of others, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like it derails their ability to really understand and accurately assess the intentions of others. So they kind of see threat. Uh, where there isn't threat. And so if you got to tease through all that too, and the way, the way that I like to do that, especially in the family play therapy sessions. So I'll figure out interventions using play that will help identify emotions, help um, figure out where those are in my body. I usually do those in the safety and engagement phase. So when we get to the realignment, we have some, we have a foundation and a, a common language to use and um, helping to, and then that phase, you're really starting to get into some of the trauma work of what did that feel like, you know, reading each other's cues, even, even having fun activities where they can tolerate being in close proximity to one another, mm-hmm. comfortable and actually enjoy being in there together yeah nice very nice and then um as we're winding down um let's talk about the fourth uh phase the attunement phase and then moving to termination how would you summarize that and is there an example that comes to mind well, I think I think in this phase you're starting to see the family members, or at least the caregiver and the ch- children or child. You can see that they're more relaxed bodies. They are, um, if they, you know, when not if when they've had uh, a little conflict or <laughs> argument, um, they're able to do the repair work. 
Um, that's why I'm like, so there's the, the family space acronym, but also the three R's of relationships. So I call those the, the how and the what. I got that from DBT. The uh-huh. how is the family space. How do we do this? And then the three R's, which are the reflexive communication, which I see as more that attuned communication and um, uh, kind of my Columbo mode. Remember that old? Yes, yes. Being curious. And, yes. Yes. And then the uh, regulate emotions, right? Yes. And, and then have to regulate their emotions. And then repair right. rupture. I have my yes. notes here on the three R's. And the parents have to be the therapeutic agent of change. So when the parents are able to take the initiative and take kind of that leadership role, to go in there and do the repair work with their child and invite yes. their child to do that because kids don't really know how. And the parents are the, they are the therapeutic agents of change. The kids are not the therapeutic agents of change. The ki- the parents or the caregivers. Well, and some people think the therapist is, and that's how they in their mind conceptualize not involving parents. But if you're uh, working from an attachment-based perspective, as you are describing in this book in a family systems perspective, that's not how we view it. Well, I think that the, the therapists are the, um, if we stay with that analogy, then I would say the therapists are the therapeutic agent to change for the parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, the, we're the holder. Yeah. The space. We're the kind of the attachment container holder. Yeah, yeah. Sort of the safe haven and secure base for the parents yeah. to explore a different way of being with their children with, with our acceptance and support. And yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ah, this is just so good, Kathy. I'm, I'm very excited for you to be getting this work and this message into the world and, you know, really, really happy to have you as a guest here today. Before we sign off, um, could you share with people the best place to find your book and any, this is your commercial, you know, anything else you want to share that you have going on that you'd like people to know about? Yeah, thank you. Um, So I usually, if people go on my website, yes, to the book, um, and, and the, how, what is your website? That's the website is rrhcounseling.com. Um, so the name of my business is Renewing Hearts Counseling and Consulting. I'm not doing any counseling right now uh, in my private practice. I'm, I'm just doing predominantly uh, training and consulting. So it's rrhcounseling.com. Um, and then on there, I have, I do have some trainings coming up about regulating emotions Great, um, and some training and stuff like that. And so they could find that on your website. Yep. It's all on my website. And Plus, I'm yeah. sure your, your book is probably on Amazon also. I think it is. They have the wrong book cover. Uh, but I, yeah, Amazon, it is on Amazon. I've seen it there and it's also on the Rutledge website yes your publisher yes yes, yes. good 
Good, good. Well, thank you again. It's been wonderful to have you here today and um, wish you all all the best with this book release. Thank you. It's been nice being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.